All right, hello, Christ community. Uh, greetings to our West Campus and our 15th Street Campus, as well as our Traditions venue. We are so glad you are here. You know, we're a church that believes that when we gather together like this, God shows up. He pours out healing and he pours out his love and his grace and all sorts of incredible things. He impacts our lives. And so again, I'm really glad you're here because I believe God wants to do something in you in my life today. Uh, before we jump into the message, I wanted to mention a, a, a specific ministry opportunity that we as a church are very excited about. A few months ago, a family in our church started a kind of a Sunday school experience uh, for children and adults with special needs. My 15-year-old son, Josh loves it. Um, it occurs every Sunday morning during our 11 a.m. service here at the 15th Street Campus in room 309. It very much aligns with our church's heart to be for children and families in our, in our city. Families um, with special needs children often don't attend church. They don't attend church because they don't know what to do with their child. They don't really fit in kids' connection. They just don't know what to do with their child. So this gives families a way to experience church and a way for their child to learn about Jesus in a loving environment. But here's the deal. We need volunteers, people who would be willing to serve in this ministry weekly or once a month. You can go to the 9 a.m. service and then minister in the 11 service. So if God has given you a heart for families and children with special needs, I encourage you to volunteer. Please volunteer. There's information about this in your newsletter this week about how you can volunteer here for that. Well, it's officially uh, the Christmas season. I say officially because uh, a month ago in early November, first week in November, I was in a store and they were playing Christmas music and they had all the Christmas decorations up. And it, you know, it was just, it was crazy. And I thought to myself, this is just wrong. You know, it is not the Christmas season yet. Now, I actually have more to support this than just my own subjective feelings. See, see for centuries in the history of Christianity, there has been designated a specific season to focus on Christmas. And that season is known as Advent. The word Advent comes from a Latin word that means coming. So Advent describes the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And the purpose of Advent is for us to focus our hearts on the coming of Jesus. There, there is a profound irony in this whole celebration of Advent. By focusing our hearts on an event that old, everything can become new. And, and so today, we're starting an Advent series entitled, Everything is New. And in this four-week series, we want to look at how a present-day encounter with Jesus can make new our experience of four realities, hope, peace, joy, and love. If you are wanting more of those four things in your life, you are in the right place. Our prayer is that in the midst of the busyness and the stress and the emotional weight of this holiday season, all of us can experience these things in a new way, a, a, a deeper way. <clears throat> so, so today, we are focusing on the first of these themes, our experience of hope. Hope is absolutely essential to our well-being as humans. I, I believe that, that what we're seeing today in terms of the level of anger and fear and distress and addictions and desperate searching for meaning, all that we're seeing, all of these things, they all point to this issue, this issue of hope. Every person needs hope. Now, in saying that, I'm not talking about hope in the way that we often use the word. You know, 
I hope my insurance rates don't go up. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, I hope the Broncos can make the playoffs. You know, I hope I get a new cell phone for Christmas. You know, in, in these examples, hope is simply wishful thinking. But that's not the kind of hope that we're talking about today. The hope that we're talking about today is something far more substantial. It is far more life-changing. So here's how I would define this hope. Hope is a settled conviction in the present regarding something in the future. So hope is a settled conviction in the present regarding something in the future. That's how the Bible talks about hope. It is not simply wishful thinking. Hope is a confident expectation. Now, in many respects, hope is very similar to faith. In, in Hebrews 11, verse 1, we read this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. See, hope and faith are really two sides of the same coin. They both describe a heart posture where we are placing our confidence in something that we believe will make a positive impact upon our future. So hope is future-focused faith. Hope is future-focused faith. I'm placing my confidence in something that I believe will positively impact my future, my, my life. And every human being, every human being is exercising this kind of hope, whether they realize it or not. We, we are all placing our hope in something. We all need something to place our hope in, something to hang on to. We need something in which to place our confident expectations regarding the future. Because without that kind of hope, life becomes meaningless. It becomes meaningless. It becomes boring. It becomes empty which is why we as humans need something to hope in. Now, here's what we've got to understand. Where we place our hope is a really, really big deal. Where, we, we all need hope. Where we place our hope is a really big deal. The consequences of what we choose to place our hope in are substantial. I mean, as I mentioned before, this is the reason why so many people today are anxious or filled with despair. It's because of what they have placed their hope in, where they have placed their confidence for a better future. See, that makes a huge difference in how we experience life. Where we place our hope is a really big deal. So what are some of the things that we are tempted, we are often tempted to place our hope in? One is government. Government. I mean, when, when Jesus arrived on the scene as Messiah, his own, most of his own people rejected him. Why? Because they were placing their hope in a political Messiah, a Messiah who would accomplish his mission through political strength and political power. And this is a huge temptation for all of us to place our hope in political power, in government. I mean, the response to the recent election is a vivid picture of this. It, it is totally normal to have em, an emotional response to an election. I mean, it is normal to have joy or disappointment based upon how an election turns out. That's totally normal. But what we are seeing in our society today is way more than simply disappointment. I mean, the level of fear and anger and grief that are being expressed are off the charts. And anytime that's the case... Anytime we're seeing that kind of emotional response, it is helpful, it's important, I think, for us to look a little deeper at this issue of hope. Because when we place our hope, our confident expectation for a better future, when we place our hope in a particular election result or in a particular leader, 
we will be devastated when that doesn't happen. Or we will place too much hope on it when it does happen. It is very easy for us as humans to put our hope in government, placing our confidence in the future on having the right person as president or the right people on the Supreme Court or whatever. And then the Bible, as well as, as, well as history, m- make it very clear that this is a misplaced hope. It is a misplaced hope. Another misplaced thing upon which we often place our hope is pleasure. Pleasure. As humans, we are very susceptible to placing our hope in various forms of pleasure. Now, I'm not against, I'm not against pleasure. I mean, God created us to enjoy various things. The problem occurs when we place our hope in pleasure. There is a huge difference between enjoying things and placing our hope in those things or what they bring us. Paul gives a vivid example of this in his first letter to his protege, Timothy. I mean, chapter five of 1 Timothy, Paul addresses a specific situation, the difficult situation that widows find themselves in. So here in this passage, he's urging families, i.e. children and grandchildren, it urges children and grandchildren to take care of their own widowed mothers and grandmothers. And then he says this, verse five, The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead, even while she lives. See, he's describing here two different responses to difficulty. One person, again, this is specific to widows, but it applies more broadly. One is a person who puts her hope in God, praying and continually seeking him for help. The other person, in contrast, puts her hope in pleasure. He says she lives for pleasure. And notice the result. Paul says she is dead even while she lives. See, he's talking about a vacuous, empty existence. I mean, here's the irony that no one seems to be addressing or at least listening to in our society. Here's the irony. When we place our hope in pleasure, pleasure eludes us. When we place our hope in, in pleasure, real pleasure will elude us. We will miss out on genuine life. Our life, when we place our hope in pleasure, our, our, our life will become this, this um, unsatisfying pursuit of more pleasure. See, pleasure makes a lousy thing upon which to place our hope. And again, there is all around us vivid indicators of this, the results of this misplaced hope. And, and, and that is the, the prevalence and the power of addiction. I mean, you look at all the addictions that we, we, we battle with today, whether it's the use of drugs or abusing of alcohol or the, an addiction to gambling or shopping or pornography or whatever. All of these things are rooted in this desire to feel good, to numb the pain of our current reality, to fill this emptiness in our soul. And, and these things, every one of them offers us a few minutes of pleasure. I mean, they do. They feel good. That's why we turn to the right? These things offer us a few minutes of pleasure or euphoria. They help, us, they help us momentarily feel better about our lives and better about the future. And because of that, it's very easy for us to begin to place our hope in them. Believing that these things, this experience will give us a better future. So we begin placing our hope 
in this image on the computer screen, that somehow this sexual pleasure is an answer to some ache in our heart. It promises us a better future. Or maybe it's an increasingly habitual use of marijuana or alcohol that makes us feel better able to cope with life. Now, 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 while they do initially make us feel better for a few minutes, the, the feeling doesn't last. And so then we go back to the behavior. We go back to the substance again. But pretty soon, the amount we use to get the high or whatever last time doesn't really get us the same high. And so we have to go a little farther. We have to use a little more. And eventually, this substance or this activity is actually controlling. It's controlling us more than we're controlling it. We're caught in a prison of our own desires. Again, it's because we're hoping in pleasure. That's going to make our future different. So again, what we place our hope in is a really big deal. There are significant consequences for where we place our hope. Now, the Bible mentions another specific thing that is vying for our hope, and this is especially relevant this time of year. Paul specifically mentions this in the next chapter in 1 Timothy. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. See, notice how Paul talks about money in this context of hope. The danger of putting our hope in wealth, in money. Now, let's be honest, all of us, all of us are vulnerable to this. All of us can easily begin to place our confidence for the future in how much money we have in our bank account. Having a certain amount of money makes us feel secure or not having a certain amount of money makes us begin to feel anxious. See, both of those, they're two sides of the same coin. It's not about how much we have or don't. It's two sides of the same coin. We're placing our hope in money. Money is giving us a settled conviction about the future. At least we're, we're hoping it will. It's giving us a settled conviction about the future. Another way this can manifest itself is how we spend our money. I don't know about you, but every year on Thanksgiving morning, when I get out the newspaper and start looking at all the, you know, the Black Friday <laughs> sales that are happening, um, it's about an inch thick of all the flyers, I start looking at that, something inside of me gets awakened, and I don't think it's holy. I, I don't think it's holy. Something, something, um, somehow, what, what happens is my, my need meter increases exponentially. Look at the price of those iPads. Mine's a piece of junk. I mean, it's like two years old. I mean, how can I not take advantage of the sale? I mean, I can feel my heart beating a little faster. I mean, we ended up going to Centera um, Thursday night. Um, Thanksgiving night, and we went into Dick's Sporting Goods, and after an hour, you know, my family was like, come on, let's go. <laughs> was I ready to leave? I was still looking for deals, you know? I had only looked at like a fourth of the store. I was ready to, to keep going. I mean, usually by nine o'clock, I'm falling asleep in front of Survivor NCIS or whatever, but not that night, man. I was energized. I was ready for more. What is that in me? 
Maybe you can relate. What is it about shopping? What is it about purchasing something that gives us this adrenaline rush? It's hope. It's hope. I'm placing my, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm believing that this item, whatever it happens to be, this item will give me a better future. Have you ever experienced buyer's remorse? You know, where, uh, where you made a quick decision to buy something and then you're driving home, uh, maybe in the vehicle or you're driving home or you just hit confirm on the website and immediately you begin to regret it or it arrives a few days later and it's like, eh, okay. You know, or maybe a few weeks later you realize this didn't change your life in the least. So what do we do then? We start looking for something else to purchase to regain that sense of excitement. Now, please hear me. I'm not against shopping. I'm not saying shopping is bad or that we can't enjoy spending money on things. I mean, Paul even says in this passage, he says, look at this, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It is totally okay to enjoy things that God provides. The problem is we can very easily step across a line in our hearts where we're suddenly putting our hope in these things. It's not just that we're enjoying them. We're putting our hope in them. So what are some evidences that we've crossed that line? Perhaps when we get more excited about Black Friday than we do about our relationship with Jesus. Or maybe when we spend more time shopping than we do ministering and serving others. See, these, these are heart issues. Where are we placing our hope? Now, Paul points out the reason to not place our hope in money. Look, he says in verse 17, he says it's because money is so, what's that word? Say it with me, uncertain. See, money is not a good thing to place your hope in because it is so uncertain. One stock, stock, stock market correction or real estate correction and the value of your investments can be cut in half in a day. One medical diagnosis that insurance won't cover and your savings can be gone within months. One season of recession and your job can be done. I mean, money is so uncertain. It makes a lousy thing to place our hope in. In fact, a few verses earlier in this passage, Paul gets even more vivid in his description of what can happen when we place our hope in money and things. Look at this, check this out. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and look at this, pierced themselves with many griefs. Wow, I mean, that is some strong language. The love of money is a root of all, no, it's not money's evil, it's the love of money is a root of all kinds of Evil, evil, that's the word he uses, evil. He also says that those who want to get rich fall into a trap. I mean, think of how a trap works. If you're, you're hunting or hunting an animal where the animal doesn't see the trap itself, right? It sees the food and then it, it tries to indulge and the trap closes and the animal is caught. That's the kind of language Paul is using here to describe what happens when we place our hope in money. It's very vivid language. He later says, we will be pierced by many griefs. I remember years ago um, being enticed to participate in a, 
a fairly risky investment strategy. I didn't see it at the time, but fairly risky investment strategy, and it promised lots of money, and it worked for a while, and then it didn't, and the, the key players all kind of bailed, and suddenly Raylene and I ended up with this significant debt, multiple mortgages. It was awful. The stress and the worry, it impacted Raylene in my relationship. It impacted our family. It impacted it. It robbed us of joy. I remember, literally, I remember getting up in the middle of this, getting up early on Christmas morning because I couldn't sleep. I was so worried about these things. And I sat like at five o'clock in the morning on Christmas morning, crunching numbers on our dining room table to try to figure out how we were going to get out of all this. I was living what Paul is describing. My love of money, wanting more money, put me in a trap and I experienced lots of grief and lots of stress. I'm sure there are many similar stories in this room. Maybe some of you are living this right now. How easy it is to overspend in December with credit cards, right? But those payments are coming due in January. How easy it is in the the moment to buy too much house or to buy too expensive of a car or to spend more than we make only to find ourselves losing sleep two months later, losing sleep over how we're going to pay for all this as creditors are calling and all of that. Paul was writing way before credit cards (laughs) even existed, but the principle is the same. When we place our hope in money and things, we pierce ourselves with many griefs. And I would just want to say, if you're in a situation like that and you're like, oh man, we are drowning here. Financial Peace University, it starts in January. It's a free class we offer here. Um, um, I think the materials may have a little bit of cost, but it's great, great stuff. Um, Just in terms of how to get out of debt, how to kind of stop drowning in this area of finance. So I highly recommend that. Okay, so what what is the solution? What's the solution if we find ourselves placing our hope in money? Again, it's not, it has to be when we're drowning in debt. If we all are vulnerable to this, so what's the solution if we're finding ourselves, you know, with some of these symptoms, some of the in, these indicators, well, Paul tells us generosity. Look at verse 18, command them to be generous and willing to share. See, generosity forces us to place our hope in something other than money. It, it requires us to trust God. I remember during that season, in the midst of the mess we were in, during that season of financial difficulty, I remember Raylene and I were so, we had conversations about this, we were so tempted to alter our giving habits. We were so tempted to stop tithing 10% to the Lord. Even though we had given 10% for years, this had been an established conviction, continues to be conviction in our lives. We had together for years. Even though with that, we had considered stopping for that season. Just, oh, just for a little bit, just so we can catch up. But what would that have done? It would have, it would have resulted in us placing our hope in money rather than God, right? Think about this. We got into that mess because we were placing our hope in money. So the way out, the way out couldn't involve placing more hope in money. (laughs) The way out involved placing our hope in God. And so with great struggle, we had many conversations with great struggle. We decided to not stop tithing our 10%. Um, and, And God was incredibly faithful, incredibly faithful. When we find ourselves struggling to be generous, when we find ourselves spending more and giving less, 
we need to realize there is a significant heart battle going on. It is not a financial battle, ultimately. It is a heart battle. It's a bad, and it is all about hope. Where are we placing our hope? What are we ultimately trusting in for a better future? So those are just a few of the things that we can subtly begin to place our hope in. Government, pleasure, money. There are many others, like health, you know, or our appearance, or education, or technology. But all of these things eventually lead us down the same path. Fear, anxiety, emptiness, disillusionment. They all, all of them make a lousy foundation for hope. All of them make a lousy foundation for hope. So what's the alternative? Is there something solid upon which we can place our hope? Something that doesn't lead to emptiness and despair, but instead leads to life. Well, this is the message of Christmas. This is the message of Christmas. In the midst of this, this world that was filled with fear and despair, Jesus came. He came to be our hope, to be the one in whom we can place our confidence regarding the future, to be the one worthy of building our lives upon. As one of my favorite Christmas carols articulates, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he, Jesus, appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. There is, there is greater. There is a greater meaning. There is a greater purpose to life. There is something rock solid to build our hope on, to place our trust in. And that something is a someone. Jesus, God's son, the promised Messiah, can be our hope. He came to be the one in, in, in which we place our confidence regarding the present and the future. He came to be our savior. He came to be our friend. He came to be our hope for a glorious future in heaven with him. Jesus is our hope. He is the hope of the world. Now, here's the deal, and I know this. If you have attended church for any length of time, you already know this, right? You can recite the words. You know the right answers. We know this. At some level, we know that Jesus is our hope. But what does that really mean? What does it look like to place our hope in Jesus? How do we grow in this? You know, as I was pondering this question for this message, I had a bit of an epiphany, felt like for me at least, as it relates to hope. You see, in my mind, I have always thought of hope being like a soft pillow. Ah, hope. It's a sweet little word to write in sprinkly letters on a Christmas card, right? Hope. Hope always had this, this soft, fuzzy feel to me. But as I looked at how hope is used in Scripture, I realized that is not the biblical picture at all. The Bible gives us a very different picture of hope. Look with me at Romans 5, verses 1 through 4, and notice the context in which hope grows. In fact, let's read this out loud together. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, 
But we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. See, what is the soil in which hope grows most rapidly? Suffering. Suffering. Persevering through suffering. What hit me like a ton of bricks is that hope is not a pillow to lay our head upon. Hope is more like, see if I can grab this, hope is more like a grip exerciser. Remember these things, right? Hope is like a grip exerciser. Hope is something you have to hang on to. And the more you do, the stronger you get. See, what I'm just now realizing is that living in the hope of Jesus requires effort on our part. It requires focus on our part. Hope is active, especially in the midst of challenge and difficulty. That's where hope grows the most, which totally makes sense when you think about it. If, if everything in life were easy, if we had always had everything we wanted, we had the government we wanted, and we had the pleasures we wanted, and we had the money we wanted, guess what? We would still be dissatisfied. We'd still be complaining. Uh, we'd still be unsatisfied. So, so how does God get our attention so that we don't place our hope in these things that are so uncertain and so vacuous and yet so tempting? How does he get our attention so we don't place our hope in those things? Through suffering. Through suffering. By allowing these difficulties into our lives. I, I know of a gifted, wonderful pastor who was just diagnosed with Parkinson's. What do you do with that? I have friends who have prayed and prayed for God to remove their same-sex attraction and nothing happens. Others have prayed and fasted for God to help them overcome their addiction to porn and yet every day is a battle. Another friend of mine is struggling to find work, is currently in temporary housing. I mean, in the midst of these kinds of situations... And many others represented here, I'm sure. In the midst of a medical diagnosis, whatever happens to be, in the midst of the, these situations, it is very easy for us to consider throwing in the towel on God, right? Just done with this. If this is where following God gets me, I'm done with this. But you see, here's what we're forgetting. Hope is future-focused faith. It is not about our current reality. Hope is about our promised future. Government, pleasure, money, they may promise you and me a better future, but they can't deliver long-term. They cannot deliver long-term. Jesus can deliver long-term. You see, Jesus gives us a hope beyond our current sufferings, the hope of heaven. And that hope, it's not fully realized now. Paul says something so profound in Romans 8, and I think we gloss over this so often because we don't like to hear it necessarily. We, we think, oh, following Jesus is just this rosy, you know, if, if I'm following him, everything's going to be so easy and life's not going to be hard. That's the Christianity a lot of us kind of follow, even maybe we don't articulate it fully. That's sort of implicit in our following Jesus, you know, it's kind of guaranteeing us all this blessing and everything. L look at this, Romans 8, listen to this. 
Um, and, and this is so profound because it's something we desperately need in a world where so often we put our hope in the, in the temporary relief of things around us. That's where we put our hope, in the, in the temporary relief that these things around us can provide. So listen to this in light of that. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Wow, what a powerful statement. I mean, what a counter-cultural statement. See, we want immediate relief. And Paul says, your hope is in the wrong place. If that's what you want, your hope is in the wrong place. He says, all of creation has been groaning for God to make things right. And in our hearts, Paul says, we also groan. We yearn for things to be made right. We yearn to be whole. And that yearning is what fuels our hope. I'm going to say that again because it's so important. That yearning is what fuels our hope. This is the battle, folks. This hope is a battle. This is the battle. What do we do with our yearnings? What do we do with our unmet longings? What do we do with our disappointments in this life? We can choose to look for temporary relief. We can choose to place our hope in money or pleasure or government or whatever, hoping these things will bring some, some, some ultimate relief. We can do that or we can hang on to Jesus, right? We can place our hope in him. We can place our hope in him. To place our hope in his promises to us that he is coming back and we will see him face to face. And at that moment, all of our yearning, all of our longings will be satisfied in him. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. And so in the meantime, he asks us to place our hope in him, to tenaciously hold on to him, trusting him for a better future. Now, you may be asking, why, why should I trust Jesus for a better future? I mean, why, why should I place my hope in him? You know, why should we trust him to give us this better future? Why not just look around at these other things? Why do that with Jesus? Here's the reason. It's because he suffered for us. That's why. He suffered for us. Our hope is in this amazing Savior who humbled himself by coming to earth as a baby who gave his life for us by hanging on a cross, and then who rose from the dead, defeating our ultimate enemy. This Jesus promises us a much better future in heaven with him. But he asks us, will you place your hope in me? Will you hang on to me? Rather than placing your hope in all these other things, will you hang on to me?
and place your hope in me. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that is so encouraging. It is so real. You know, the, the Bible is not just this, thank you, that it's not a book just of these fairy tales and rosy stories. Man, it is real. And in the midst of it, we discover all these things that we tend to put our hope in. So you help expose those things. And God, I, want, I thank you for that. And I want to pray right now, you would, in, our, in each of our hearts, that you would speak to us if we ask this question, where, God, where am I placing my hope? Where am I placing my hope? In what am I placing my hope for a better future? Is it in money? Lord, you know that's a huge issue for all of us here. We just confess that our tendency to place our hope in money, to get more excited about our purchases and shopping than we do about you and about our relationship with you. Forgive us. Forgive us when we place our hope in government. Forgive us when we place our hope in pleasure. And we get seduced into these things that we think, oh, they bring us temporary pleasure, and then we end up losing control to these things. Would you forgive us of that? We repent of all of that. And God, right now, we want to just acknowledge our desire to place our hope in you. And I pray that we would recognize that hope, the way you describe it in your word, it is not this soft pillow kind of experience. Man, hope is a battle. It is a decision every day in the midst of our suffering to hold on to you. To hold on to the, 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 the hope we have in you of a much better future without disease, without difficulty, without pain, and without grief. That's the future you promised, Jesus. That's the future you secured on the cross and through the resurrection. So right, I want to just take a, take a moment right now, and I, wanna, I want you to just, before the Lord, this is between you and the Lord, I want you to just, if, if you're comfortable doing this, if this is the cry of your heart right now, just tell the Lord in the quiet of your heart, Jesus, I put my hope in you right now. I am putting my hope in you. I am hanging on to you tenaciously. Even in my struggles, even in my suffering, even in my unmet longings, I'm hanging on to you because you are worthy of that. And I want to pray for each one of us, Lord, that as we choose that every day, every moment of every day, when life is hard, when it, we have a horrible day, we are choosing that. I pray just like this grip exerciser that our faith, our hope would be strengthened in you every time we are making that choice. We become stronger. And our hope becomes more of a settled conviction. And so I pray that for each person here, for each one of us, for that kind of hope, that we would be strengthened in it. 
even in the midst of the battles we face. Thank you, Jesus, for being that kind of a savior that we can put our hope in. Thank you. This other stuff we put our hope in is not worth putting our hope in, but you are. We're so grateful. Thank you. We love you. We love you, Jesus. You know, there, I want to give a couple of inv- uh, responses, opportunities to respond. The first one is just, and you can just keep your eyes closed here, but <clears throat> there may be some of you, and what you need right now is you need to receive Jesus for the first time. You need to place your hope in him, your trust in him for the first time. The Bible makes it very clear. We have to enter into this relationship with God. It's not automatic just because your parents are go to church or because you go to church or you have some general belief in God or whatever. The Bible makes it very clear. We, we, we need to receive Jesus. And in doing so, we place our trust in him and he comes to live in us. He forgives our sin, comes to live in us. And there may be some of you here and you're like, I don't know if I've done that. Well, let's take care of that right now. Because in this moment, you can place your trust in him and receive his life in the present and in the future, his eternal life. So if that's you, I want to invite you to pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Just pray with me here. Dear God, I admit that you are holy and I'm not. I am separated from you because of my sin. I've chosen to go my own way, do my own thing. I've not followed you very well. And I admit that separates me from you, but I don't want to be separated from you. I want to know you. I want to be in a relationship with you, God. And I thank you that even though there was nothing I could do to get to you, no matter how hard I tried, you came to me by sending your son, Jesus, to earth as a baby. Jesus, you lived a perfect life, and then you died on the cross for me. You paid the penalty I should have paid. You paid for my sin. You paid my debt. Thank you. And I choose right now to place my trust in you. I bring to you all of my faults and fears and sins and doubts and questions. And I just bring all of it to you and I place it on your shoulders. And I, in exchange, I receive your life and your forgiveness. Forgive my sins, past, present, future. Come live in me, changing me from the inside out. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in this relationship with you. Help them grow in this amazing love relationship with you. And I pray for all of us, we would grow in our hope of you, Jesus. We love you.